Probably should have prepared something. Hey, everybody. Uh, so I woke up at 1 in the morning. So our little boy, Wilson, he's been at doctor appointments all all week. And uh, he's been he's been sick. And I think he brought home just the flu or something, a virus. And so he brought it home. And so it was like 1 in the morning. And I'm like sweaty. And, and I got like a fever. And like I'm achy. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this talk this morning. So if I collapse in a heap, uh, just talk amongst yourselves. Okay? Just be comfortable. Hang out, and if the, if the paramedics ask, uh, like, if they need to know my blood type, just say, always be positive, okay? Hello! I'm here all week. Well, happy Mother's Day. Um, so today is talk, it's about moms, and when I think back to my early Mother's Days, I think about going to church, and we get the Sunday best on, we go to church, and, and you'd, you'd sit down, and uh, of course, the lead pastor would bound up there, and he'd have a mom contest, you know, it's like, stand up if you're a mom, Woo! you know, and he's keep standing if you have two or more kids, keep standing if you have three or more kids until finally this poor woman who had, who had fielded an entire baseball team on her own <laughs> was propped up with like five kids on one side and like four on the other. And you're just like, oh, that poor lady. Um, I won't do that here today to you guys, I promise. Um, so, um. At the end of the service, I remembered we would kind of shuffle towards the exit, and we'd all be kind of shuffling out, and some super perky and peppy, you know, young people would jump out, and they would just write in front of you, like, are you a mom? Are you a mom with, like, a rose? Like, will you accept this rose? You know, and they'd jump in front of you, and they'd ask, you know, anybody who looked momish, are you a mom? You know, and <laughs> if you look momish, we're not going to, I'm not going to do that to any of you either, I promise. So when Stephen asked me to talk today, he said, we just finished up in Esther, and next week we're going to start another thing. And so he's like, you can talk about anything you want. And uh, it's like, that's dangerous. Uh, initially, I was like, hey, I could talk about the Navy SEALs, my favorite topic, for like an hour. But I did that to you guys last time, so <laughs> I, won't, um, I won't do that again. Um, but, you know, when I think about Mother's Day, um, it can be a different day for people. Uh, it can be a happy day. There can be brunch and going out with mom and flowers and... And it can be a good day, and for a lot of people, it can be um, a rough day. Uh, everybody's coming into the room from a different place. So my brother called me the other day, and he's like, I am sick and tired. Our mom died like three and a half years ago, and so he's, he gets all the emails and all the... He's inundated with, you know, hey, there's only two shopping days left to make sure mom gets the red roses and all that. And he's just like, I wish I could have a filter on my life. Like at tax time, you know, H&R Block, and then like... You know, because they just, they, they, just keep, they just keep hitting you from all sides. And he's like, I wish they could just turn that off because it makes me depressed every time I can't send my mom flowers. You know, and then there's other people that are in here, and, and the phone is heavy today, right? It's heavy to pick that thing up and get mom on the line. You know, maybe the relationship, last time there was a conversation, maybe it wasn't a good one. Maybe there's some challenges in the relationship. So wherever you're coming from today, if it's, if it's a good day for you or if it's a challenging day for you, I'm glad you're here and, and welcome to Austin Chapel. Um, so Allie and I were married uh, in June of 2002, June 1st. So in two weeks, we're going to celebrate 15 years of being, being married. And our oldest boy, Keaton, is seven years old. Okay, so you guys can do some math, a little mental math. We waited longer than waited longer than most everybody we know to start a family, right? And while I'd like to tell you 
that it was like we were traveling, we were having so much fun, and like going to brunch a lot, and like just doing super awesome stuff. We just sort of forgot to, um, we just sort of forgot to start a family. I wish that was the case, but it wasn't. The first year, uh, you know, people ask like, oh, what is it? Like, so okay, you start dating and you get serious and you're headed down like an aisle at some point. People, when are you crazy kids going to get married? And then, like, you get back, and it's, like, five Mississippi after you're back from your honeymoon. When are you crazy kids going to start a family of your own, you know? You... <sighs> we just got back, you know? And so, like, for the first year, like, you kind of blush a little. Like, when are you guys going to start trying, you know? It's like, you know, well, we're just hanging out. We're just enjoying each other right now. And for that first little season, it's, it's good. But at the second, you pull the goalie, Okay? Everything changes. Everything's different. You know, like for Allie, and like, it's like we're trying. We're trying, and like, that's a lot of information to be sharing with random people in an elevator. You know? That is, that is a ton of information, honey. So then you fast forward. You fast forward a little bit, right? And it's now the first Mother's Day since the goalie left the net. Okay? And you go to, like, hey, we're going to go to church. And you go to church, you know, and the pastor jumps up and he does the mom contest. You know, hey, keep standing. Are you a mom? And it's like, ooh, yeah, this is different. This is different now because we're kind of in the game. Okay? And so she shifts in the seat kind of uneasy and our hands find each other. And it's like, for a moment there, you're like, I wonder what our story is going to look like. We haven't been successful yet. And I wonder how long this is going to take, you know, but pretty quickly, it's like, you know what, we just kind of got in the game here, and so everything's going to be okay. And then you're shuffling out of church, and Perky and Peppy jump out, are you a mom? And you're like, oh, I want to be a mom. I want to. I would love to be a mom. And then you fast forward to year two, year two, the second Mother's Day, that you're in the game, and it's been a whole year since the last one. You're like, hey, honey, you want to go to, the, like, the 930 or the 11, or what do you want to do? And, you know, there's that elephant in the room, like, uh, maybe we could just go get brunch and, like, go to the movies, and let's just take a day for us today, you know? Because all those reminders of walking in and just everybody talking about it, it's heavy, and it's uncomfortable, and it just reminds you, like, you know, my wife had two goals in her life, be a wife and be a mom, you know? And that, that second one was, wasn't happening right away and then year three rolls around right year three and that's that's the one where the shades are drawn in the house and like the doors are locked the phones are off and then okay picking a movie on this mother's day like it's die hard that's the only like that's the yeah john mcclain in a beretta 92 fs and he's killing bad guys and then it's like the end you know perfect christmas movie right and uh And so you watch Die Hard and you get Pizza Hut delivery and you don't answer the phone. And this is kind of how it progresses. Each year that you have these reminders and it's Mother's Day, it's it's more painful um, as as it keeps going. Infertility sucks. It's a painful time. It's a painful thing to go through. This desire of your heart that you want, um, it's not happening. And, you know, God says, hey, be fruitful and multiply. And you're like, I want to. When are you going to show up here? When are you gonna when are you gonna do this for us? And I don't know what it is too about like when you finally get to a place where you're comfortable enough to share with someone 
you know, they go, when are you these crazy kids going to start a family? And you're like, you know what, we're trying, and we're going to the doctors now, and we're seeing the specialist, and you feel comfortable to share, this is what we're struggling with. And I don't know what it is about sharing about infertility with people, that it makes them want to share about fertility, like their fertility. Like, oh my goodness, you should come to my house and drink the water, because when Dan looks at me, I'm pregnant with triplets. <laughs> Please don't have Dan look at me, okay? <laughs> I think back to March 31st, 2008. I get a voicemail message from our fertility doctor. And he said that having biological children, for me, was impossible. Impossible. Okay? So this is my thing. And as a man, you want to, like, you know, I want to keep the curry name going. Get some suns going, and uh, that's tough news. So back then, I couldn't see the future, and it was tough, and there were dark days. God didn't meet my expectations. You're supposed to get married, and then you start a family when you want to start a family, and that wasn't happening for us. And so where was my faith? I'm kind of a little ashamed to tell you guys I was grumpy with God. It's like... What's up? This is the thing we want. This is what we want so bad. All my wife wanted to do is be, be a wife and a mom, and we can't seem to get the second one. You know, when's that going to happen? Uh, I had doubt, and uh, I struggled, and that was just a really. There were a lot of difficult days in that infertility uh, time in our life. So today we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. Uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, doubt and the difference between believing in God and believing God. Okay, so let's uh, pray for our time real quick. Hey God, thank you for being here. You're so big and you're so awesome and you're so wonderful and you always take care of us, Lord. And you're always working. Uh, you always have something um, that you're that you're working on for us, Lord. And sometimes we don't know what that is. We get frustrated. But right now, this morning, Lord, just uh, just help us to. Um, to understand what you what you would have for us, and to look at our lives and the things that are difficult that we can't see how you're working, Lord, and just trust and have faith, Lord, that you're doing big and awesome things. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so Happy Mother's Day. I was kind of a I don't know if I was there was some humor, but it was t- it was a tough time. I kind of shared a bit about our story, the beginning of our our story, and um, I was just going to ask you guys right now: Is there something that you walked in here with today? Don't blurt it out. Um, but is there something right now in your life? And just like, I'm just take a couple of Mississippi and think about the one thing right now, the hurdle that you have, and you can't see how God's going to show up and fix it. And you're frustrated and maybe a little grumpy mm-hmm. with him about. Think about your thing. And just as we do this talk, just kind of kind of drag that along with you. And, and so you can kind of unpack uh, this as we go. Um, so, talking about faith, we're in Hebrews 11 today. So, if you want to learn anything about faith, Hebrews 11 is like the Faith Hall of Fame. Uh, so, this is like the greats. This is, this is where you go when you want to talk about faith. So, we're going to start in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. 
by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so the first thing that jumps out in this passage to me is assurance for things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction. So when it comes to the whole Jesus thing and the whole God thing and the whole creation of the universe thing, this isn't uh, wishful thinking. It's not uh, like a shot in the dark. Um, It's not blind trust. If we have faith, uh, we're convinced that God is powerful and he's wise and he knows everything and he can do anything. We're convinced and we, we are assured. Later in Hebrews thirteen five uh, through 6, For he has said, I will never leave or forsake you. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So he won't abandon us. He's going to help us. We don't have to be afraid. So in Hebrews 11, we're going to continue in 4 through 6. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Today, right now, just happened. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible to please God if you don't have faith. It's impossible to please God if you don't have faith. And this is where you see the difference between believing in God and believing God. Because it says uh, two things. First, we have to believe He exists. And, there's a big and there. And, we must believe that He keeps His promises to us. So the first thing by itself, it doesn't really work, right? Because... um, if you go to the next uh, book after uh, Hebrews, is James, and in James 2.19, it says, even the demons believe, and they shudder, right? So, like, if you tick the first box, like, I believe in God, you know, I believe in God, that's, I mean, that's great, even the demons do, like, now you're even there, you know? <laughs> Believing his promises, I believe God, I believe his promises, I believe that he's going to do what he says that he, he's going to do. I think cultural Christians today believe he exists, and they tick the first box. But when I, I hear cultural Christians talk, when they talk about Jesus, I feel like they talk about Jesus like in the exact same way in their faith. Like They talk about their faith in the same way they talk about how important it is to have like really good support in their shoes. <laughs> My faith is important to me. You know? and I'm running a 5K, and I'm going to wear Adidas. That's important to me, too. Like, <laughs> like that's... Biblical Christ-following Christians believe Him. They believe His promises. They believe. And it compels them to act in obedience and in a way that's pleasing to God. So what are God's promises? Eternal life, forgiveness, fruits of the Spirit. He's going to meet our needs. He's going to protect us. And at the end of the day, death and sorrow and sickness, all of the bad things, at the end of the day, God wins. Right? It's all done. So the good promises, if we truly believe God in faith, not just believe in Him, but we believe Him and His promises, big faith things happen. So, for example, in Hebrews eleven seven, continue, uh, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, 
constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So you guys know how long it took Noah to build the ark? 100 years. 100 years. Okay? He started when he was 500 years old, and him and his kids build this giant boat until he's just past 600 years old. A hundred years of building a giant boat. Okay? So can you guys imagine being at the Home Depot on a Saturday with Noah? <laughs> like, you're at the depot, and like, for a hundred years on a Saturday, like, you're really still bo- building the boat, huh? You're still you're going with that. There's no water nearby. We're in a drought. It doesn't rain here. Okay? And you're going to build a 450-foot-long, 75-foot-wide, and 45-foot-tall boat. Really? Like, that's, like, for a hundred years. And I think if Noah believed in God and was like, okay, I think, you know, he's up there probably and it's good. No, he believed God. He believed God's promises. And he believed it so much that he spent a hundred years, a hundred years going to the Home Depot and taking the abuse from his neighbors and his friends. Um, That's a long time to get made fun of for obeying God. So he must have really been convinced. Right? There was total commitment. So, uh, 11, 8 through 12, we continue. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out uh, to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him a faithful, or considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, uh, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Okay, so the first thing that strikes me here is Abraham gets called to go by God, and he doesn't get told where. He just says, "You got to go." And Abraham's like, "Okay, sounds good." Leave your homeland, go to a different country. Sounds fair? Done. You know, that's cool. That's, that's some faith. The second thing that jumps out is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they chose to live in tents. They chose camping. Because they were so convinced about where they were going. They knew that heaven, the mansion that they were going to have in paradise, that God was constructing for them, anything that they would construct here in the promised land on earth, Build a big house? Why? What's the point? I'm just going to go to Academy and get a tent. Coleman tent? Good enough for me. Why am I wasting my time down here with a house when I'm going to have a giant mansion? Like, he was so convinced about where he was going. That's so cool. We live with the concept of the American dream, right? Get a house and a nice car and a big fat bank account. You know? And those things are important to us. And you look at Abraham and his faith, and he just chose to build his equity in heaven. The biggest thing in this passage that jumps out to me, of course, is the infertility bit. Okay? Sarah was 90, and Abraham was 100 when they had Isaac, their only son. Okay? She was cashing Social Security checks for 25 years before she was pregnant. (laughs) That's a long time. It makes my infertility story seem kind of like nothing, right? I can't imagine waiting that long. 
but they had some doubt in the midst of their faith at times. Because when Abraham was 75, uh, God called him to leave his home and go to the promised land, and that he would be the father of many nations. Right? And he leaves and he goes. He's obedient, and that's awesome. And God says, go to Egypt. And what's his first move? They're on their way to Egypt, and he realizes, oh, i got a really pretty wife. Sarah's really pretty. If I go to Egypt, they're probably just going to kill me to have her. And so he goes to her and says, hey, say we're brother and sister. Okay, so he has faith enough to move from his home and go to Egypt. And as he's going, there's some doubt that creeps in, right? I better cover myself. I better make sure I'm okay and I live through this. And so he kind of saves his own skin. So fast forward about 10 years in Genesis 15. And God makes a covenant with Abraham reaffirming he's going to be the father of many nations. And his offspring are going to receive the promised land. Okay, And... So God makes a big promise. What happens in Genesis 16? Like right after this, Sarah's super discouraged about the infertility and she sends Abraham to go with Hagar and have a baby. Okay? So they get promised by God, you're going to have all these nations, the grains of sand, stars in the sky, and they decide to call an audible on God. You know, we're going to take things into our own hands. Why don't you go with my servant, Hagar, and you guys can have a baby? And I read this and I'm like, come on, dude. You're 85 years old and she tells you to go with a servant who's probably of childbearing age or, you know, younger. And he, he does that and it's like, there's an opportunity missed here. He could have led your family well uh, and you missed that one. But um, apparently it was common in, at the time if there were no sons that if you sent uh, one of your servants to be with the master of the house... To, to keep the lines going. That was a common practice back then. But when you just had God make a promise to you, you just had God tell you all this good stuff, and then you call the audible on God, he's showing a little bit of doubt, right? And there are consequences. So the first one, the first consequence here, is that it caused an issue in his marriage. And so uh, they have a fight in the Bible, and in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah do over this. Um, because the second consequence is that there's an issue in the household. So Hagar comes back treating Sarah poorly uh, because now she's going to have a baby with Abraham and Sarah couldn't do that. And so she's like not treating Sarah very well. And that causes an issue in the house. Big consequences. Hagar is upset and the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar with these instructions and a prophecy. In Genesis 16, 11 through 12, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand, that's in there, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't change it. His hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And this is where you see the third consequence. Okay? There's issues with the wife, issues in the household. And now Ishmael is born, and he becomes a patriarch. Um, and to many Arab tribes, and he's now looked at as an important prophet in the Muslim religion, right? A wild donkey of a man, hostile towards others, and others hostile towards him. Like, if you're Hagar, and you're, like, you're hearing this prophecy from God, are you stoked? Or are you like, I just thought I had the terrible twos, right? <laughs> this is like, like, wild donkey of a man, obstinate, hostile. Like, can we do another prophecy? Can we do a do-over? Can I have a mulligan? So there's all these consequences, and the third one is trouble in the Middle East that we still 
get to see today, right? So that brings us back to the whole faith thing. Abraham is considered to be the patriarch of faith, right? So when they say, like, we're not all Jewish, right? If we're a descendant of Abraham, it means he was the patriarch of faith. And so if we have faith in God, we share from that lineage, okay? And that's how we, that's how you get connected uh, up the line. It's not a literal one. It's not like, you know, the big family tree and it all goes back to Abraham. It's the faith family tree that we all get to share in. So, in Abraham's long struggle with infertility, he's not perfect. He's far from it. He had doubts, right? But when you know the rest of the story, and here's kind of a big takeaway, with God, always assume there's one more thing that you don't know that he's doing. If we live by faith, if we think that God is good, maybe the answer to the prayer, maybe the blessing is right around the corner. Always assume there's one more thing that he's doing that you don't quite know about yet. And he's going to show up and show off. I love when God shows off. Because when I look back at the difficult times in my life, and I look at like the struggles I went through, and then I see all the ways that God was working, it's like, oh, shucks. God's doing some stuff. Like If you guys ever want to know if God answers prayer, do a prayer journal. You guys, I don't know if you've ever done this. Get a prayer journal. Just start writing all the stuff that is ruining your day in that journal. You know, give it to God, and then in a few weeks, go back and look at that day, and you'll be like, that ruined my week. That ruined that whole day. That ruined that whole weekend. That that thing, it's gone now. It's not even a thing. Like, if you guys want to see God show off, do a prayer journal. So, in our infertility, um, the dark times on Mother's Day, ten years ago, um, when I think back to those dark days... I couldn't see God's blessing happening. I couldn't see how he was going to work. And I wish I could have a mulligan on some of those days. You know, we could have had so much more fun on weekends. We could have had so much more fun instead of being depressed and down and just feeling broken and hurting. If I believed God and his good promise, I knew he would have done some good thing. You know, it may not have looked how I wanted it to look or how I expected it to look, but he was going to do something awesome. You know, because that's what he does. So Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking uh, of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So I read this, it kind of challenges me, personally. Because God promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. You know, the numerous as the stars and grains of sand. But he and Sarah, when they died, Abraham and Sarah died, they just had Isaac. That's it. They didn't get to see, like... Like, Abraham and Sarah, family reunion, and everybody has the t-shirts on, and it's like this big thing with, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers, and this big, it's just their son. And when I think about personal desires and wants and struggles, and um, I guess I have to accept that God's blessing may happen, and it may not be in my lifetime while I'm here on earth. And i got to be okay with that. But that's kind of a bummer, and it's challenging, Right? 
I want it to happen now. What happened for me now? Let's answer that. Let's answer that prayer request. And this verse talks about the homeland in heaven. And Abraham had ups and downs, and he doubted. But the opposite of faith is not doubt. Um, he lived a life of faith. And so when you see these doubts and stuff, you always got to remember this guy still lived his whole life in a tent, right? Remember that he still lived his life in a tent. Because he knew where he was going. He was convinced about where he was headed. He had a mansion in paradise. So a tent, you know, for the short time that we get here, that was good enough for him. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, Abraham has a lifetime of infertility. He's 100 years old when he has a son. And then a little later on, um, God says, I want the boy back. If you believe me, and you believe in my promises, if you love me, give me the boy back. Go sacrifice him back to me. Ugh. But he obeys, and God rewards him. So when I got bad news in March 31st of 2008 from my fertility doctor calling me up saying "There's it's impossible. Um, March 31st, 2009, not joking, same day, to the day, a year later, our new fertility doctor called us up to tell us that we were pregnant with little baby Keaton. So Allie and I, we have three boys now, Keaton and Deacon and Wilson. Um, they're little miracles. So we got told couldn't have kids, and now we got three of them. That's a huge blessing. Through wonderful achievements in science, doctors using the brains that God gave them to do some awesome stuff that wasn't possible a very short time ago, uh, we get to do that. And there's big, giant, scary needles and terrible procedures. And I won't give you details when I have a microphone strapped to me and they put this online. Um, but God answered our prayers in a big way. Um, so then I wonder, what if he didn't answer the request, the prayer request that way? What if our answer was no? Um, for many people, uh, this desire to carry a child is answered uh, with a No. So I think about two families who were close to us, and they had something really, really cool happen. Uh, they struggled with the infertility stuff, and they ended up adopting two kids. And as I think about these four kids, so these two families, they adopted two kids, and I'm thinking of these faces in my, in my head, and they're, they're a wonderful blessing. God's good. And he answered their prayers. It wasn't a no. He just answered it in a different way than they expected. Okay, But God used their infertility for a beautiful purpose. Um, and it's because these kids were their family. Right? These are the kids that these families were supposed to have all along. It just looked a little different for them. And then, you guys know, God likes to show off, right? So with these two families, they got a third blessing through pregnancy. Right? So, I was thinking about these two dads and me, and if God called us up and was like, hey, 
bust you guys times three, but I'm going to need them back. I need you to go sacrifice the kids. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> like to think I have enough faith to obey God, but I can't pretend to be up here and tell you that I could do that. I can't, I can't even answer that. I won't know how to respond. That's tough. Genesis 22, 9-14. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. About time. <laughs> do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked, lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham believed God. He believed in his promises. He believed so much that this crazy idea that I guess I'll just kill Isaac and God's just going to probably bring him back to life, that seemed more reasonable to him than the alternative because he believed so much. He was so convinced that God keeps his promises and he does what he says. So if he's going to keep his promises, I guess he's probably just going to have to bring Isaac back from the dead. Okay. You know, that seemed reasonable to him. There's always one more thing we don't know about how God's working, about how he's going to provide for us. So I got one uh, final story as we wrap up. And it's, um, so I was talking to Allie's Uncle John recently, um, and uh, he lives up, up kind of by us up, up north there in, uh, near Liberty Hill. And we were talking about the talk this morning, and, and he's a old elder, and so I call him about some stuff. And we ended up talking about his story a little bit, and he said it was okay that I share. So Uncle John was seven years old. This is 1963. His mom left him at a gas station in the middle of nowhere near Lincoln, Nebraska, by himself, seven years old. Left him at a gas station, and then there was a note pinned to his shirt. His mom could no longer care for the children anymore, and John was well enough to be given up. Um, and his siblings, to this day, they're institutionalized in the state of Missouri because the malnutrition that they suffered as young kids was so bad that to this day, they're still in Missouri. They were never able to recover from it. Mom couldn't support the family, and she had more faith in leaving her son with a note on his shirt at a gas station in the middle of nowhere than in her own ability to provide for her family and her child and raise him well. So the gas station attendant gets a phone number off of this note and calls Uncle John's aunt in Joplin, Missouri, and she drives the 350 miles from Joplin up to near Lincoln to the gas station and picks up this little seven-year-old boy who was malnourished and hadn't had any schooling and was just left there and brought him back to Missouri, and they soon after moved to California in that fall in 1963, enrolled him in third grade because that was the age Time to go to third grade. He'd had no schooling. And so his aunt and uncle, his aunt, every single day, including weekends, for the whole entire year, worked with him and got him to C grades at the end of third grade. No weekends are off. Every single day. And he got to C grades, and he got to fourth grade, 
in advance. And ended up, like the rest of the story, Uncle John, he became a world-class water polo player. And he still he coaches the U.S. Uh, Junior Olympic team. Um, his mom and dad, or aunt and uncle, mom and dad now, that's what it's been, mom and dad. They turned over the family business to him uh, several decades ago, and he's the president of the company, very successful in business. Uh, he beat deadly leukemia in 2013. I mean, this guy has a story, right? And uh, he was a church elder, like I said, um, for a couple of decades out in California. And he's able to tell really cool stories about how God shows up in difficult situations. His own story is pretty cool. But in 1963, if you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, and you're that seven-year-old boy, and you're standing there by yourself, and your mom left you, and you're malnourished, and you haven't had any schooling, it looks bl- 